When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Well, if that didn't get you off started on the right note, then I think my introduction will. Um, Today we're going to be talking about scheduling. Um, It is a topic that, for those of you who know my posts on Dentaltown and everything, it's a topic that I spend more time than most um, looking at and thinking about. I'm very, very passionate about it, and Justin is too, and so I'm very excited for today's episode. Either way, without further ado, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I know that the MO for the lifestyle practice, Justin, is profiting more in less time. And so obviously to do that, scheduling is a big component. How did you kind of start doing that in your own practice? I think it originally came from looking at a bunch of different dentists and how they ran their offices and schedules and just kind of realizing I wanted more. Nothing wrong with the way others do it. And I'm not saying I'm better or that my ways are better, but... I knew I wanted to profit more than the average dentist, and I wanted to do it in less time at the office. And I knew I needed to figure it out many years ago because no one else was going to do it for me, essentially. I just wanted my cake and eat it, too. I mean, is that too much to ask? So as I began this process and was really examining my schedule, I realized I could do the same amount. It started by realizing I could do the same amount of work in less time at the office. You know, if we pushed all the treatment we had on our four and a half days into less time, I could still do the same amount of work just without the holes. For example, you know, if you're working right now, if someone's working four days a week at 75% capacity, which I think is a pretty normal situation, you can condense your schedule and do that same amount of dentistry in three days a week without taking a pay cut and, you know, often I think with cutting overhead a little bit. So most, not all, definitely not going to lump everybody into there, but I think a lot of the doctor schedules I see are working four and a half, four to five days a week with holes throughout their schedule, whether it be in hygiene or on their side of the schedule. To me, that's just wasting time in the office when you could be out doing something else. If you want to, you know, maybe your goal is just, you know, I'd say even if someone said, well, I want to get those holes filled, I'm, I'm, I'd be like, fine. But in the meantime, until you have that need, why not be at the office less, do something else with your time, whether it be even more business related stuff or just things you want to do. So that's what I did. I, uh, I cut out a day and then as those, you know, so I went back from four, four and a half to three days and So then those three days, I was busy. And as those three days got busier, I I cut down and then eventually just cut out lunch. I I always find time to eat between patients or something. I mean, I don't need to sit there for an hour and chill because that usually gets me out of my groove anyway. Then I learned to become faster and more efficient in those three days. And 
you know, production has increased all along the way over the years. In fact, this year, I'll take more time off than I ever have, and my production will be higher than it's ever been. I uh, When I was going through the course, I thought that was really interesting when you said, um, like, the first thing you, in the scheduling module was cut your days. And, yep. you know, it, it it's very intuitive, assuming the fact that you're not fully booked. And I just think that's really smart. Um, yeah. One thing that concerned me was um, expanded hours. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, personally, I just, you know, my lifestyle doesn't fit around expanded hours, but I see the importance of them um, in terms of converting new patients. So how do you kind of choose to do them or not to do them? Well, I would start off saying, you know, I think most consultants I've heard love to tell you to expand hours to build a practice. And I would say you have to do what you have to do to pay the bills and provide for your family, right? So I get that. I just think there are better ways to build a practice that may take a little more effort in the beginning than just doing the shotgun, open my schedule all over approach. And I want to preface before I go on too much further and say, I know there are exceptions to every rule. So I don't want a bunch of people contacting me saying, I did it this way and you're wrong. I get it. Different strokes for different folks. But when you build your practice by working evenings and working Saturdays, then you end up with patients who choose you because of those hours. And then someday when you say, I'm sick and tired of working evenings and Saturdays, which you probably will at some point, um, then those patients end up leaving. And then you're back closer to square one. So I would suggest, and how I did it was, you know, you have to determine in the beginning the hours in the schedule you really want to work and then develop your plan to hit those goals and be able to build your practice off those hours um, inside that schedule and improve your game in the different levels, kind of using the things that we've discussed in the past several weeks until you get to that point. Now, personally, I didn't choose my hours right now by giving my patients a poll and asking them, when do you want me to be open? I chose when I wanted to work and I built my practice around them. Personally, that meant that a lot of our systems um, and customer experience and building rapport and everything that people don't normally associate with scheduling, but I think it has a lot, a lot to do with being able to choose your own schedule. You know, and I worked three days and I wasn't willing to say, these are the hours I want to work. And if I have to take a pay cut to work them, I will. You know, I think anybody can do that. That takes no, no skill, no, no gifts. I wanted to actually increase my production while decreasing hours. And like I said, because of that, my game had to improve and it doesn't happen and didn't happen by luck or uh, accident, I'd say. So, you know, I think dentists look around when setting their schedule. I think they often look around, see what everyone else is doing and then try to do the same thing. And then they end up with the same average life and the same average practice other dentists have when they need to look inside and figure what they want, regardless of what everyone else is doing, and then raise their game to be able to make that above average income and the time they want to do it. So if you have good marketing and systems, once a patient enters your office, you don't often have to have extended hours. Personally, I believe my schedule actually attracts patients to me. They know I'm there three days a week 
And I think in a lot of their minds, they're thinking, hey, this guy must be doing okay or he must be decent if he only has to work three days a week. And then they also have to, when they notice that or realize that, they've also got to notice a, a difference in the, the overall culture in your office, which is something you have to take the lead on by utilizing the things we've talked about over the past several weeks. You know, culture is one thing in your office you cannot delegate. It has to come from you or you'll end up with something you don't want. So, but let's be honest, you can't have crappy systems and a crappy culture and still work two to three days a week um, just because you want to and then end up with an extraordinary life. You know, it, it doesn't work. It has to come full circle with everything else. I really like what you're saying. And it kind of, you know, for me and for a lot of our listeners who are buying practices from older doctors, um, it kind of is nice because they usually do the thing that you just talked about where they accept a pay cut to work very convenient hours. And so, you know, if we work with you early, we can keep those very convenient hours, but just ramp up the in inside, you know, culture and systems in our practices to really improve. Um, yep. So I think that's kind of nice for those of us who are going to acquire to do it that way. So can you tell us a little bit about your current schedule and how many teammates, team members you have? Sure, George. I currently have five teammates. <laughs> I knew you'd give me a hard I'm time sure. for that. Uh, no, so I have five team members currently. Uh, for the first six years of my career, uh, maybe even seven, I only had three team members and one hygienist, one front desk, one assistant. And then there were several several years of having four um, two hygienists, one assistant, one front desk. And then in June of 2016, I hired a fifth team member, which was my second assistant. So for the first 11 years, I only had one assistant. And I've worked three days a week for the past 10 years. And, you know, for me personally, production topped out with three team members around 1.2-ish. Um, with four, we were starting to top out and plateau around 1.4. And with five, we haven't plateaued yet. So we'll see where that goes. I work, currently I work Monday, 9 to 6. Tuesday, 9 to 6. Wednesday, 9 to 5. And then my team works um, 9 to 3 on Thursdays. Okay, Justin. And I, I'm curious, you know, the... Something that I've been interested in is the effect of adding staff. You know, a lot of us, like on our Facebook group, there was a comment about um, having one assistant um, and then, you know, people desiring two. Can you talk about, you know, when to, you know, just the effect in production and how to ensure that a staff member's hire is worth it? You know, I think this is probably one of the one, not necessarily the, but definitely one of the biggest issues I see when doctors contact me. Most dentists, are overstaffed. Um, they have more than they need. And when there's an issue, they just like to throw other people about it, at it. So, you know, they'll start to get busy. Maybe the team members start to complain a little bit. It's like, hey, we're getting really busy. Um, so what's the dentist do instead of improving their game, sitting down and say, okay, where do you think you're busy? Where's the bottleneck? Let's look at this and see what can we do to increase our efficiency with the team members that we have. Those will say, hey, let's Let's hire somebody and throw that at the problem. So then you end up increasing your team overhead, which is the biggest expense that you have in your office. Um, it's going to make the largest contribution to your overhead. 
And just to me, it's not the way to go about it. So I've always, like before I hired something, I, I'm not going to lie, I don't have like a a set like golden standard kind of like, okay, when this set of events happens, I know I need somebody else. Um, what I did kind of used as my benchmark in the office um, going from three to four to five. It's just, like I said, when I started to see we were plateaued and I had looked at everything inside my office to say, okay, where could we become more efficient? What could I do better? How could I get better? How can my team get better? And we were still kind of hitting that wall month after month. And I was really having trouble getting over, you know, a certain a benchmark and monthly production or something. Then I finally, and I had to do it for a while. It wasn't like the first month. And then I was like, okay, that's higher. Like I'm talking three, four months of, okay, we've hit a wall here. And I know people will be like, well, you're losing money those three or four months. Like, no, I think I see a lot more doctors lose money because you have too many people. So then I would do it. And then we would jump. Like, for instance, just because it's recent, I know the numbers. Um, 2016, you know, last year our goal was 1.5. And we'll kind of go into that a little bit later. But I noticed we were consistently hitting a wall at that 125, 130 mark with the hours that I was working. I mean, if I wanted to, instead of hiring someone else, I could have just opened another day a week. To me, that wasn't an option. That's, I didn't want to do it. I wasn't going to do it. So I watched things closely for a couple months and said, okay, really, where's our bottleneck? And it was because it was just me and one assistant doing one point, you know, three or four million dollars in dentistry. And that's a lot for just one assistant, one doctor. So, you know, obviously I figured out it was my assistants is where we did it. And so I hired a new assistant and um, we immediately jumped that month. It was just like a spring had been let out. We hit like 155 that first month that we had hired a new assistant. So it, that told me in my mind that validated that was the right decision. Like that's where our capacity was being limited. But you've got to prove it. You've got to make things prove to you. You have to have some money because having too many people, it's always easy to hire. It's tough for dentists to fire when they realize you're right. I've got too many people. And I, I see that time after, I mean, we're talking several times a week. Dentists will contact me and we'll talk. I'll realize they have too many people. And that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow to say, even if they realize it, and they're like, you know what? You're right. But I can't go in there and fire Susie. who has been with the practice for 20 years or blah, blah, blah. You know, that'll just piss everybody off. All my patients leave. My staff will turn on me. You know, I'll, I'll live, end up old and alone with a bunch of cats if I do that. So you've got, you've just got to hire very judiciously. No, I, I yeah, I, I see the, the, the caution of adding staff that's not needed because it's difficult to remove that staff member. Absolutely. And, and can I add one thing before we go on? Sure. And it's kind of a side note, but the place, I know you have a lot of young dentists and some um, in school that... The place in the office where I see overstaffed most often is front desk. You know, they'll say, I have a front desk and I have an office manager and I have a hygiene coordinator and I've got, and you don't need that many. Like for right now, this year, we're going to collect 1.6 million and I still only have one person at the front desk. And I mean, she's a stud, obviously, but 
and I'm not saying everyone has to wait to have two people up front, um, you know, until you hit that number. But if you're contacting me and saying we do 700, 800, 900, and I have two people up front, like, I'm going to tell you you're overstaffed. I'm not going to say I'm not going to work with you unless you go in there and fire them. But, I mean, if you're serious about getting the overhead in check, which creates increased profit, which gives you more freedom and more choices, um, then you need to look. But it's hard when you have two people doing that job. And then let's say you even have the balls to let one of them go, which most dentists don't. Then that makes the other person feel like, oh, now I'm doing the job of two people when really they were just putting the job of one over two people. But that's not how they take it. You know, if I, with my front desk, she, we know she works hard. We know she works efficiently and she works good. But, you know, it's not like in her mind she's thinking, I'm doing the job of two people. Because that's just, it's always been our thing. You get what you're to, you tolerate. And I just, you know, act like it's no big deal. Like, hey, this is your job up here. And, you know, and she's always just figured it out because there's not been, she knows it would be a hard sell to me to come and ask me to hire somebody else. I get it. And I'm watching for it. I'm not just like a slave driver. Um, you know, I think once we hit that 2 million mark or something, we're, we'd have to be looking at someone up there to get her help. But I don't know, just a caution, hire very judiciously. Yeah. Again, I think that's a great listen, a great, you know, lesson to our listeners who are younger and, you know, potentially buying practices with, you know, a very, potentially overstaffed, understaffed. So it's good for them to assess it and be very cautious when yep. adding. So one thing we talk about a lot with you because it's unique is vacation time. So um, in this topic of scheduling, can you kind of refresh our audience on how much time you take off? Yeah. Um, I try to take, take off around 10 weeks a year. I don't make it any rule. I don't put any rules on myself. I don't say I can't take off more. Um, and I don't say I have to take them off. Um, but that's about what it averages to. And I think... This August um, is the first month I'm only missing like one day in the month, but then I take two weeks off in September. So it kind of evens out. Um, at the end of the year, for the last couple of years and this year, I'll end up working uh, between 120 and 125 days per year. So almost a one to two ratio of days in the office to days outside the office. Yeah, that sounds like, you know, sounds like you got it all very, very well organized and a very convenient system for yourself. But I, I liked how you said your, your, your team was there from nine to three. Right. Um, can you talk about, I, I thought about having a day like this too, but what do, what do they do on that day? On Thursdays each week, you know, my hygiene, my hygienists will see recalls under general supervision. They'll get caught up on any recalls that they need to like, uh, uh, getting people back in. They'll stock their rooms. They'll, clean their rooms, we'll do whatever it's needed. Um, assistants will do in-office whitening. Um, they will do denture adjustments. They'll deliver the next set of clear liners for our clear correct patients. They'll clean the office, they'll stock their order, they'll call on accounts receivable, um, whatever needs to be done. And the front desk will do whatever they do. You know, basically deal with insurances, follow up with patients, predeterminations, accounts receivable, anything she needs to make sure we're ready to roll on that next Monday. Because when I'm there Monday through Wednesday, we don't have time to do all that stuff. We're 
cranking out dentistry so I can get in. We can crank out dentistry while I'm there, and then I'm out. And then they can do those kind of things. So as opposed to seeing it as like an added expense, raising your team overhead, it actually allows your team to do what they do, you know, with less team members because they have that extra day to catch up on all that stuff. Yeah. Okay. And then when you're on vacation, you know, you, you take off quite a bit of time. You know, how does that, how do you coordinate that with your staff? Um, good question. I get this question a lot. So on vacations, well, first, each of my team members, each of the five gals gets four weeks paid vacation. But they have to choose those four weeks out of the 10 that I take off because we can't afford to have random people missing all the time to perform at our best in the office and accomplish what I want to accomplish while I'm there. We need everyone there when I'm there. Those weeks when I'm gone, um, they'll do more of the things I just listed on for the Thursdays. But, you know, I'm not going to pretend like those weeks are super hard for them. They're not. But to me, you can't have the best people around and then tell them they have to take six weeks off unpaid each year. Like That's not going to happen. It's one of those things where people may tell you you can do that, but in reality, it doesn't really work that way. And doctors usually freak out about this. And if, if you have an average office, you probably can't afford to do it this way. This is why, again, I had to figure it out because – you know, I know there are other offices doing it, but I hadn't seen a lot up until this point. It wasn't a very common schedule to have um, with no associates or anything in their practice. And most dentists think in order to have this type of schedule, you've got to have someone else in there. And I'm not saying, well, first off, you don't, obviously. But I'm not, I don't even think I'm against associates. That's not my thing. I'm fine with associates. I think they can be awesome. My thing is just realizing you can think outside the box and showing dentists you can have this type of schedule and still not have an associate. It's still possible. So that's that's kind of the angle I come from. But sorry, going back, you know, I had to figure out and get things successful enough in the practice and the time that I'm there to be able to live life the way I wanted to and have my schedule set up the way I wanted to. And there isn't always an easy answer for everything. Sometimes you have to create the answer, and that's how I felt I did it. And I still keep my team, even with this type of schedule, um, I still keep my team overhead locked in at 20%. And um, on that topic of keeping things productive while you're there, how do you schedule? Um, I know that you do from the course, I know you kind of do a mixture of provider time block scheduling, but how do you do it for our listener? Can you kind of um, talk about your scheduling? Yeah. Well, I'd say I'd use a bit of each of those. I take aspects of each of those, but I don't use either one in the pure pure sense. I'd say that most people understand them. I had a lot of influence from Bruce Baird of Productive Dentist Academy, and that is uh, scheduling to goal. So our daily goal, it has been for the last year or so, 12500 a day, and we just raised it to 13000 a day of collectible production. This is based off our PPO fees. I don't I think we've already covered this, but I don't put in our UCR fees and then have a huge write-off at the end of the day. So let's say our goal for the day is 12500 What we do is we book each day until we have 12500 on the schedule. Then once we have twelve five on the schedule for that day, we start to book the next day until we have twelve five on the schedule. And then when that is scheduled to goal, we move on to the next day 
and fill that with 12.5 until we're booked out about five to six days out to goal. And then we'll go back and start filling in any openings on the first day and so on. I don't do the way that I, one of the ways that I think it differs from block scheduling where you have the big blocks in the morning um, and then, you know, the afternoon is always filled with your piddly stuff, less productive stuff. I don't really care whether patients want to come in in the morning or the afternoon. I just want them to choose our office, basically. I When I tried block scheduling originally, this is one of the things that my first coach um, was big on at the time. Like in reality, I didn't have big cases each day that wanted to come in at like right at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. Um, to me, it just wasn't real life. And that's what I had, a real life practice. And that's who I work with. So, so I had to figure it out again. And it, it came down to like, I'm not going to tell somebody, oh, you need, uh, you know, $4,000 $4, bridge. So very, I, I'm not going to do that in the afternoon for you. These are my big blocks here at 8 a.m. I know that doesn't work for you, but I think that's stupid. So, so for no production appointments, we'll plug them in on days where we're already booked to goal. So if I'm booked at 12.5 and I still have an hour here or half an hour there, that's when we'll throw in stuff with no production. Um, but they're not going to be taking up time on a day where we're not scheduled to goal yet. We use some of the same principles uh, as provider scheduling. But again, that's not how I block my schedule. And at the end of the day, that's not my focus to have the perfect provider schedule. Schedule. Hitting our goal for the day is my main focus when I'm at the office. That and treating my patients well. You know, if I can hit do those two things, you can call my type of scheduling whatever you want. I don't really care. And I think when you schedule like this, you know, when I know, okay, my schedule is going to be booked out 12 5 for the next four or five days, whatever, it gets rid of the ups and downs of day to day and month to month. You know, I pretty much know. <clears throat> on January 1st, what we're going to produce for the year. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Last year in 2016, my goal for the year was $1.5 million. We ended up the year, the last day we worked, which is like the 22nd of December or something, at $1.515. And the only reason we ended up higher by 15000 is that I planned to hit the goal the day before our actual last day of the year. I was um, superstitious, I guess. You know, I was afraid, like, what if we had some huge blizzard, snow, snor snow storm, and we couldn't make it into the office, and we didn't hit our goal for the year. So I wasn't going to leave it to chance. I wanted to make sure we hit it the day before, and then the very last day of the year would be gravy. So this year our goal is 1.6, and we ended at the end of June at 830,000, just because the only reason we were over is we just had a few big cases come through in May and June that we didn't necessarily plan. So since we were a bit over the first half of the year, now I can just take more time off on the second half of the year, or we'll just end up producing a little, little bit more. Either way, I'm fine with. But bottom line is I'm not, I don't leave it to chance. I don't say just fill the schedule. Some days we have $5,000 days. Some days we have $10,000 days. Sometimes we have 15,000 days. Then we have a 1,000. No, I want it consistent. And we don't hit like 12.5 like on the button every day. Some days we'll do 13, 13.5. Some days we'll do um, 12. But 
as an average, it comes out to be about 12.5 a day or 13 now. It's just our recent change. Bottom line is for me, doing it like this, I have a lot of choices. And I can take off as much as I want in the year as long as I'm hitting my goals. So that's it. And, you know, I've, I've heard this before, and I think maybe some of our listeners have this kind of idea of scheduling <clears> to goal and, you know, moving on to the next day as opposed to filling up all your time. Um, one thing that I've always wondered with this is what if you fill up your all your time allotted for that day without reaching your goal because maybe you have some lower production procedures or whatever it may be? How do you handle that kind of situation? No, I'd say bottom line is that doesn't happen. That can't happen. And I see what I see a lot, you know, clients that I'm working with, I'll have them send me their schedule and then we'll look over it together and they'll block out an hour with a filling or two at, you know, 150, 200 bucks a pop. So, and they'll say, Hey, I want to produce a million a year. And we do the math on their day. I'm like, can you produce a million dollars a year doing scheduling an hour for two fillings that'll give you $350 production? And the bottom line is, no, you cannot. I was thinking to meet the parents when uh, they were having the, the milking conversation at dinner. It's like, no, Falker, you cannot. Sorry. Side note, man. <laughs> uh, sorry. So basically, no. I mean, you can't do that either. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy. Like, there's a perfect, easy answer on how to avoid that. But let's be honest. You can't hit big goals spending that much time. So you, you either have to be content with hitting a lower number or you've got to get faster. You've got to get more efficient in your scheduling. So I don't care what it takes and, and it's always different and I can't, it's not the same answer for every doctor. It's something we look at. We go through their skills. We go through their schedule. We go through their number of team members, all that kind of stuff. And then we say, okay, this is how we make the leap from getting to this, to this. But Bottom line is you're right. You cannot fill a bunch of low procedures in your schedule and hit bigger goals. I don't have the exact answer for every scenario, but you're right. It won't happen that way. And, you know, kind of on that same point, a lot of our listeners have been asking me um, and even some future guests have been like, you know, how what is he doing? Like, what procedures are you doing to hit, you know, thirteen thousand dollars a day? It's It was a question on the Facebook group, you know, um, you know, what, what procedures, you know, I think our audience should know, um, exactly what your procedure mix is and, you know, what you feel like your production is attributed to, as opposed to maybe what they may think it is. Right. Well, every patient in my office gets head to toe Botox and, um, I do facial reconstruction on every patient. So that really helps. Kidding, George. Kidding. I was going to add in, you forgot about the, um, you know, the full crowns and, you know, maybe some ortho afterwards. Right. Um, I do that on everybody. As long as, you know, I usually start the process at about six years old. Uh, <laughs> no. So great question. Obviously, this is probably always the next logical question. It's the same question I had for mentors that I had looking up to them. I mean, how the hell did you do this? Um, like, my thing is like, fine, I get how to schedule my day to 12 and a half thousand. But where the heck do I get that? So, and I think it really all flows together from what we've been talking about the past several weeks. You know, successful practices are built daily, not in a day. My goal didn't start out at twelve and a half thousand just because I wanted it to. And 
if I keep practicing, twelve and a half thousand will not be my end all be or sorry. I, I always forget like we just raised our goal just a few weeks ago to thirteen. So just bear with me. Um, but it won't be my end all be all. I started out many years ago with a 3,000 daily goal. And then once I got good at hitting that, I moved up to a 5,000 daily goal. And once I, my skills improved and my efficiency improved and my rapport building skills improved and being able to see the treatment and talk to patients about treatment, then it went up to 7,500 and then 10,000. So it was a progression. And as my or our collective game inside the office increased, so did the goal. And it all flows together. Leadership, a well-trained team, being able to quickly and effectively build rapport, um, then the treatment planning and getting away from single-tooth dentistry and maximizing each appointment you have and being able to see the dentistry that maybe you didn't see or maybe you were watching it or maybe you were just afraid to talk to patients about it because you're afraid if you told them they needed more than one crown, they'd split. But really... I'm mostly bread and butter. No one would come into my office and be like, dang, how does he do this crazy stuff? I average about a little bit less, actually, than two implants a month. I don't really do molar endo. Generally, I might sometimes do a lower first if the canals are, you know, like an inch open and the roots are straight. I do a little clear correct in ortho, but that's all I do because I hate ortho. Um, but our systems, from the time a patient calls our office on up, are tight. And they're intentional, and that's how we do it. That's how we get the treatment and enough treatment to do that. I'm happy. I think that was a perfect uh, description of that. And I think you know a lot of our listeners have probably been wondering that. So um, if you're still listening, nine episodes in. There's your answer. There's probably nobody. So yeah, yeah, it's just me and you. But uh, <laughs> the answer is there nonetheless. It's also on the Facebook group, so I guess people saw it there. But um, how do you come up with your daily goal? I think that's kind of, you know, you talk about it increasing slowly. Where do you start? How do you figure that out? And then, you know, how do you do that? Yeah. So basically with a lot of things in my life and my practice, I work backwards always. At the beginning of the year, I decide what I want to produce for the year. I figure out how much time I want to take off, and then I go from there. For instance, um, this year, I planned 1.6 million. I said I'm going to work 120, 120, 125 days. And that means I have to produce an average of 12,800 a day. Every day I'm in the office. Then it's on me to make sure I'm treatment planning enough and talking to patients enough to be able to do that. And this is a fact almost universally across the board. Most dentists have way more dentistry coming through their office than what they're talking to patients about or treatment planning. And I hear every excuse in the book. And I mean, they're literally, I, would, I don't have to say every excuse in the book because there's only like three excuses that I hear over and over and over and over. My patients take really good care of their teeth. There's no dentistry to do. The previous dentist did all the treatment um, that there was to do on these patients. And my patients here just like patches, which is bull crap, bull crap, bull crap. I mean, that's, that's a sissy's way out. That's an excuse. Um, you've got to get better because I've, you know, I've been there. I've done it myself in practices. 
you know, when I went into my first practice, um, small town, the dentist kind of warned me. He's like, you know, patients out here don't like crowns. They uh, they just want you to patch it so they can get in and get out. And you know what? That wasn't the case. When I started building rapport with them and just talking to them and just offering like, hey, do you know instead of patching this tooth every other year, we could do one, you know, what's called a crown. We could fix this tooth. And we probably won't have to touch it for another maybe 10 to 20 years. And it's going to look better than this huge gray thing you have in there now and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm not saying that's my best treatment plan approach, but it's not true. And I think just like my coach told me 11 years ago, you know, if he came into my office, the office would be doing double or triple what it was doing. I now look at practices and when I get tell them like, you know what, true or false, do you think if I was running your practice, would it be doing the same numbers you're doing? And, you know, most of the time if they're honest, they're saying no. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but I'm just to prove the point. And most of them agree. No, it would probably be doing better. So why is that? It's the same patients, same team, same blah, blah, blah. What's the difference? They're the difference. They've got to improve your game and you've got to learn to see dentistry. I get it. I don't, I didn't see that same dentistry that I do now my first day out of school. I get it. It's a process and you have to learn. If no one teaches you, you don't know what you don't know. Um, so where the heck was I? Um, you've got to stay in page, engaged with every patient every day. Um, and here is a big key. You know, I want people to get this. And it's a big key to my success. You know, it's much easier to stay engaged with every patient every day when you're only working 120 days a year. I don't get burned out. Neither does my so I can leave it all on the table every week when I'm in the office. And I think that is an extremely crucial part of this process. And that's why I've been able to cut my time down in the office while increasing production. Because when I'm there, I have the mental capacity to keep pushing myself and stay engaged every day. Every, everyone, almost across the board, is afraid if they take more time off, the production's gonna go in the crapper. It makes sense, it's logical. But what they don't take into account is that when you're there fewer days, you can perform at a higher level the days that you're actually there. I use this analogy quite often. Um, and it's one of my parents watching my kids. When they, when my folks, you know, I'm, their, I'm an only child. So my grandkids are all they're going to get. And they love them to death. And when they take them for the night or the weekend, they can leave it all on the table because they know they get to give them back in 24 or 48 hours and catch their breath and return to normal life. You know, they'll, they'll go to arcades, they'll go to circus, they go out to eat, they go to carnivals, they go bowling, anything that's freaking in town, they go to it. And as a parent, you know, you can't sustain that every day because you have to have some energy in the tank just to get through life. And when I'm at the office, I'm like grandma and grandpa. I leave it all on the table because I know in two or three days, I'm going to get four days off to catch my breath and do whatever I want. One other thing, um, you know, that I just want to mention is looking for your glass ceiling. I noticed early on in my career when I was really working on increasing production and these different things, um, when I was producing good and we were having a really good day and firing on all cylinders, Subconsciously, 
cut back in my treatment planning. Um, like I'd have that subconscious voice telling me, Hey, you can relax a little bit. You're having a great day. Chill out. Give yourself a break. You deserved it. Um, so then I wouldn't go in a treatment plan, everything I saw or push myself as much. And then it would inevitably bite me in the butt a few weeks later. And then I'd have to ramp it all up again. So I always tell my clients when things are going good, you're hitting your goals. That's when you step on the gas and you push yourself even harder. Because that's what locks in the process, and that's what creates separation from you and everyone else. I think that great, you know, monologue there, Justin. I really appreciate it. <laughs> but um, Sorry. you know, I think Sorry. no, I think you did a great job of talking about how you got your goals and the idea of thinking backwards and the things that are make your goals achievable and possible. Um, what we didn't talk about in this episode, which I think is really hard on a podcast, you know, when you're driving around listening is the specific hour-by-hour daily scheduling that Justin kind of goes through in his course. Um, so I, I'd encourage listeners, if you're interested in that, contact Justin and um, you know see what they have to offer. Um, I really enjoyed the course myself. And I think most of them could really benefit from the material. And I think also working with you um, to implement some of these things or learn about them if they're pre-owners. And I really think it'd be very effective, especially in the scheduling content and the treatment planning content last week. I think both of those kind of um, are just very hard to cover on a podcast. But I think that we yeah. delivered a great episode with great content. So I appreciate your time, Justin. I really enjoyed it. And I think our listeners got a lot out of it. Thanks, Georgie. Appreciate it. Sorry about the monologue. No, no problem. That's what you do. And we'll see you guys next next Tuesday. <laughs> I got a few more episodes left. <laughs> and uh, have a nice week. The top. Jump without a net, never break a sweat, cause I live my life like it's all I got.